good, everyone? I'm Artisan, or Carlos, or whatever you know me as. So, I don't have a ton of housekeeping stuff to get through regarding this platform, but I do just want to briefly say, and I'll remind everyone of this as um, the weeks progress and we get closer to December, but as of right now, I do have the calendar for December finalized for the year-end stuff happening on this podcast. Uh, so, Friday, December 3rd is going to be the cutoff date for music. So anything that comes out after December 3rd, I cannot factor into record of the year or song of the year discussions. Um, and, and that's just, uh, for my sake. And just so I have like some kind of, um, flow, I guess, going for this show. Flow was not the word I was looking for. Um, cohesion, maybe. I don't, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. But like, just so there's like some sense of cohesion with everything that I'm doing. December 3rd being the cutoff makes sense to me i know that there are some stuff happening after that like there's a siamese record on december 10th or at least i believe it's december 10th um i'll talk later on about what's going to happen to all the records and songs that come out between december 4th and 31st because it's not fair for me to leave those things out of potential year-end stuff just because of the timing so you know we'll figure all that out later on um, so what is going to happen is there will not be a regular weekly episode that covers all of the releases from December 3rd. What is going to happen instead is the week of December 6th through the 10th is going to be the week dedicated to the song of the year list. So I think I've mentioned this before, but I'll just go over it again. There will be five installments of that series, each one going up every day from December 6th through the 10th. And it's 100 songs, so each episode will cover 20 songs. And it goes, obviously, in descending order from 100 to 1. And then the following week, December 13th through the 17th, the same thing is going to happen, but with records. That list is 50, so it's going to be 10 records discussed per episode. And then I'm going to take the week of the 20th through the 24th off just so i can have some kind of a break and then the final week of the year december 27th through 31st there will be two special episodes that i'm not going to get into what they are yet um you just gonna have to wait on that but th they're really really cool ideas that i think uh it makes sense to close out the year with those two episodes uh they're not regular week weekly episodes like i said they're special episodes and yeah that's just uh that's what's going on this is going to happen so on this episode, we've got singles from the likes of Underoath, Sea Space Cowboy, DeBerg, Stick to Your Guns, Mayday Parade, Starset, and some others that I may or may not get in depth on. And then records. This was another very, very stacked week. Uh, so we've got, let me see here, uh, Cherry, Orbit Culture, Signs of the Swarm, we butter the bread with butter, and then the big three this week of Sleep Token, Bad Flower, and Poppy. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the episode.
It has been zero weeks since Machine Gun Kelly last got himself into some shit, and last week it was also zero weeks since that happened. I made like a joke or two about the Conor McGregor stuff from a week or two ago, whatever that was, and then at the beginning of last week, he said some shit about Slipknot for whatever fucking reason. I don't know why he thought that was a good idea, but he did it. Um, I don't remember exactly what he said, something about like some weird fucks in masks or some... Something like that along those lines. And you gotta be a certain type of dumb to antagonize a fan base as rabid as Slipknot. Because those motherfuckers are crazy as shit. And they've been crazy as shit for over two decades now. And I I guess maybe uh, Machine Gun Kelly thought it was just going to be some lighthearted thing that didn't catch on. I really, really don't know what his thought process was. But it caught on like a fucking wildfire. And it, it got a lot of attention and everyone heard about it subsequently because at a performance that he recently had over the weekend, he was booed and then he got into a physical altercation with a fan during it and just like this really, really weird shit. Um, during Slipknot set at Knotfest, they, the crowd chanted fuck MGK and it was a really, really loud chant that I remember here. I, I was seeing the video. It was like, it was a lot of fucking people, so everyone heard about this stuff, everyone knew about it. Um, what I will say about MGK, and this, it, it's weird and kind of tough, because I I have championed him on this show before, I can't act like I don't fuck with some of his music, I do like a portion of Tickets to My Downfall, I do like some of his rap stuff, I don't think he's some talentless hack that um, you know, people have vilified at the same time, he has to understand that, like, he's bringing all this shit onto himself, and I know that he's, like, so, like, into the idea of being a rock star and living that rock star life. The rock star life is fucking dead, man, and, and it's been dead for a long time. Like, it's not fucking cool to embody that shit anymore. Um, you know, I remember a couple years ago, I might be getting the story wrong in certain areas, but I believe what happened was Asking Alexandria kind of bragged about like trashing hotel rooms and Code Orange called them out on that, or which they should have because like I said, that rock star mentality, like there really is no place for that in the scene anymore. Like we've progressed so far beyond all that shit and MGK really, really wants to be the face of this movement that just doesn't exist anymore and it shouldn't exist. And I just think like, you know, people are allowed to feel however they want to about MGK. You can support him. You can, uh, you know, detest him. But I think if you do support him, you really, really should understand that he's not some innocent figure that is having shit thrown at him for no reason. He has brought all this on himself. And what he's seeing right now are the consequences of being this polarizing figure in a scene that is really, really trying its fucking damnness to clean itself of that stench because, like, we've been through a lot of shit. And by we, I mean the scene. We've been through a lot of shit, like, the last couple of years. And it's gotten really, really bad in certain areas. And, you know, we just want... We want this to be an open area, a, a place of, like, welcoming. And that's not always what it is. And with someone like MGK being involved in it... um and doing the antics that he has, it's a pretty bad look. And I just think 
he, he and I said, I think he, he's not going to do any of this, but like, just understand, like, the shit that you say, like, it, it, it'll come back to you. It, it always does. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm just going to leave that. Um, let's just, let's move on from this until MGK gives us a reason to revisit this discussion, which is going to happen maybe by the time this podcast is done being recorded. So let's just get into what we're here for in the first place, that being all of last week's releases. And the first thing I want to talk about is the brand new single from DeBerg. It is called It Is What It Is. For those not familiar, DeBerg is James DeBerg, the vocalist from Thousand Below. And he fits into the same category that I believe I put Landon Tours in last week when I talked about the plot in you. Uh, and what I mean by that is James DeBerg is one of the most versatile artists in the entire scene. And just the, the way that he's able to go back and forth between this solo material, which is a hip hop project, and Thousand Below, which is more like, you know, rock based and post hardcore in some areas. It's really, really astounding, and it's even more astounding how good he is at both of those genres. I don't believe James has missed in anything he's done, whether it be with Thousand Below or his solo stuff. He's just somebody who was meant to do this. Like, this was his purpose. He was meant to be the frontman of all these different projects and excel at these widely different sounds. I think with It Is What It Is, which is produced by Ramen Party, what you hear is James is just unmatched flow and the way that he's able to just get all of these lyrics across and everything about this song just really really works so fucking well i I think he hasn't missed with any of these hip-hop songs like if you didn't know that he was in thousand below you listen to this to this and you would think like man this guy was made to you know be a hip-hop artist and then it's like no he was made to just be a fucking musician and again be so unmatched in all these areas under Oath dropped the third single off of Voyeurist, which is scheduled to be released on January 14th of 2022. This song is called Pneumonia. I think I've gone on this rant before on this podcast, but just to reiterate myself, I don't particularly like long songs. That is kind of oxymoronic when you consider that one of my favorite records of all time is City of Evil by Avenged Sevenfold, but outside of 2000's Avenged Sevenfold, long songs just aren't really my shit. You're like, yeah, there are a couple bands that every once in a while manage to pull it off, but if I see a long runtime for a song... It immediately puts me into this mindset of like, okay, whatever, let's get into this. And for as much as I love Under Oath, I saw the 7 minute and 12 second runtime for Pneumonia, and I was kind of just like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever, let's do it. And then I listened to Pneumonia, and there was not a single second in that extended runtime where I was bored. I was captivated the entire way through, even with all of the style changes that happened throughout it. I'm I'm going to implement a clip of Pneumonia like I do all the other songs I talk about, but I want everyone listening to, to this to understand that whatever clip I do play for Pneumonia, 
It only scratches the surface of what this song actually is. There are moments where pneumonia is enchanting, and then likewise moments where it feels very haunting, and all of that is intended to get across the meaning of the song, that being the passing of guitarist Tim McTague's father. And so there's all this emotion packed into pneumonia, and it's one of the like most fulfilling journeys you can take with any song out of the scene this year. And I think it's already, I don't want to say locked, but it's already in contention for my favorite closer on an album of 2022. Because, like, when I finished listening to Monia, I was like, that better be the fucking closer. And then I checked the track listing, I was like, yeah, you're damn fucking right, that's the closer. Just this impeccable song that I really, really believe everyone should go out of their ways to check out. Some pretty big news from last week out of Sea Space Cowboy. The band announced their new album, The Romance of Affliction, which is supposed to be out on November 5th. And along with that came the lead single, Misinterpreting Constellations. There are not many bands on the rise currently that I feel as strongly in favor of as I do Sea Space Cowboy, and that's been the case since the first time I heard their last record, The Correlation Between Entrance and Exit Wounds, which, had it not been for Amo, that really could have been my favorite record for all of 2019. I think Sea Space Cowboy are this undeniable talent. I think Connie in particular is one of the strongest vocalists in the scene today. Every time, you know, she just steps forward and does something, she does it with this ferocity and sincerity and authenticity that, that like, to ask for that, all three of those things out of a vocalist, you'd be lucky to get one or two, but the fact that she's able to kind of just give her all to a project is really, really admirable. Misinterpreting Constellations also uh, utilizes both Ethan and Taylor for cleans as opposed to Connie's screams and the, the the unison between all of their voices is just really, really enchanting and I know enchanting is a strange word to use for a song that is as grounded in hardcore punk as this one is, but that's just what came to mind. That was how I felt listening to this track. Um, and then even throughout all of those sections where there's like senses of beauty. The song closes out with this really, really sick breakdown and I just could not get enough of it. I cannot get enough of Sea Space Cowboy in general and this record on November 5th, I have the highest of fucking high hopes for. We finally got an album announcement out of Mayday Parade. They've got What It Means to Fall Apart dropping on November 19th and along with that came the brand new single, One for the Rocks and One for the Scary. By this point, Mayday Parade is more than just a staple of the scene. They have every right to be considered one of its pillars. Th they've been around for longer than some people listening to this have probably been listening to scene music. And I think they are just one of those legacy acts that you've got to pay respects to whenever you can. I acknowledge that I haven't really always done that with Mayday Parade. I don't always check out their projects when they're brand new. By this point, I have, but like... um. I think after Black Lines, I kind of like checked out for a couple of years off of like keeping up to 
keeping up to date with them. And not because I didn't like Black Lines. Black Lines might actually be my favorite Mayday record. I just kind of lost touch with their stuff. And that's completely my fault because this is an incredible band. And one for the rocks and one for the scary. It just, it it further emphasizes everything that this band does right. There's a a good portion of the song that is kind of acoustic for the most part. And then the pace pickups and it becomes this full-fledged pop-punk track. And it builds up to this outro sequence that brings the entire band in and everything just kind of wraps itself around Derek's vocals. And it is a, a beautiful song, a very powerful song. I enjoyed everything about it. And this new record, even though, again, this is a band that's been around for a minute, I, I had no reason to believe that they're going to miss with this one. It feels like it's been a minute since we had a brand new Stick to Your Gun song. And we finally got that last week in the form of More of Us Than Them. Stick to Your Guns is one of those bands who, whether they are heavy or melodic, I just gravitate towards everything they do. I don't think there's a sound that they've attempted so far that they have not executed with the prowess of a fucking masterful band. Stick to Your Guns, it, it, they're so good. They are they really, really might be one of the most talented bands I've ever listened to. Whether they're my favorite, one of my favorites or not, you know, that's something that I can debate with myself about, but... As far as just pure talent and ability goes, you it, it is so rare to find a band like Six Tier Guns. Uh, more of us than them. It you know falls in line with everything else that they've ever done. It is just a powerful song, an emphatic song, just right fucking in your face heavy. And then um, on Twitter, I believe like right after the song dropped, they posted something about the contributions that Tom Cyril, formerly of Architects, made. Um, Tom Searle passed away back in 2016, and he apparently wrote uh, the breakdown for this track for Architects, but when he heard it back, he thought it sounded too much like Six Year Guns, or something something akin to what Six Year Guns would have used, so he you know, gave the breakdown to them in case they ever wanted to use it, and the band finally used it on More of Us and Them, and that adds this emotional element to the track that I think is just... You know, it, it can't really be be matched by anything else uh, this week. It is just, again, packed full of emotion. And I think Six Year Guns, like I've said already, are one of the most talented bands out there. If you've never checked them out before, please, please do so. The last single that I'm getting in depth on on this episode comes from Starset. It is the new single from Horizons, which is dropping on October 22nd. The single is called Leaving This World Behind. Low-key, I kind of fucked up the last time I talked about Starset on this show. That was when I discussed The Breach a couple weeks ago. I referred to The Breach as Horizon's lead single. The lead single was actually Infected, which came out back in like either April or May. So Leaving This World Behind is the third single now, and all it does is continue the trend of this band just being fucking perfect, in my opinion. There's this really cool little brief jingle that happens at the start of the song before going right into this wall of sound. And then from there, you get into these like more quiet verses, and then 
an explosive chorus. That structure really reminds me of Manifest, and that's one of my favorite Starset songs. So leaving this one behind, kind of falling into like that territory uh, as far as like the way that the structure is laid out. That's just like all well and good in my opinion. I really, really love this track. I love everything that Starset is doing on the Horizon cycle so far. Um, you know, selfishly, another single would be really cool before the 22nd, but if I have to wait for the remainder of this project until then, that's totally fine. So now I'm going to go through just briefly the remainder of the singles from last week that I reviewed, and then I have some notes on two of the songs that I said I liked. The Wrong Sense by 156 Silent, Relentless by Advent, When the World is Mine by Bad Sons, Don't Start by Banks Arcade, Something to Numb the Pain by Blood Youth, Wasted by Calling All Captains, IDNUA by Cemetery Sun, One Night Stand by CODIS, IDGAF by Colt, Karomi by Colt featuring 4S4KI and Sacha Online, Close My Eyes by Empty, Regenerate by Everyone Dies in Utah, Far From Heaven by Fit for an Autopsy, Pitch Black by Heart Attack Man, As If It Never Was by Invent Animate, No Mercy by Josh A. Victorious When the Devil Failed by Monument of a Memory featuring Will Ramos from Lorna Shore. Fever by Paloma. Amaris by Pictures of Wildlife. Sentimental Surgery by Red Hook. Chips by Royal and the Serpent featuring American Teeth. Whispers by Sync With Me featuring Tom Kylie from Patient 67. Everything's Fucked by Smart Death. Love Me Back to Life by Travi McCoy. I Wish I Could Erase What's in My Brain by Walwyn. And A Blood-Soaked Symphony by Whitechapel. So those were all the singles from last week that I said I liked. There was one that I said I didn't mind, and that was Like I by Kid Buki. I could pick up what that song was attempting, and I think with like more polishing, it would have worked really, really well. But... All I can really say about that song right now is I understand the idea, and to an extent, I do like the idea. It's just the execution of it wasn't entirely there, in my opinion. And then the one song from last week that I reviewed as having not liked was LMAO, Percentage, 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 I don't even know how to say that, by Drippin' So Pretty. Uh, this one sucks because I Drippin' So Pretty had a record back in March that I actually really, really like, but this single, it's just it just sounds like a bunch of sounds to me, and like, you know... You can be a smartass and say music itself is just a bunch of sounds, but um, I, I do not understand what Trippin' So Pretty was doing with this track. It just missed me completely. So yeah, did not fuck with it. Uh, I want to just briefly speak on two of the singles I said last week that I liked because I think they need some clarification. Uh, As If It Never Was by Invent Animate. That wasn't really a single. It was part of the EP The Sun Sleeps As If It Never Was. Um, I reviewed The Sun Sleeps a couple weeks ago when that was a single. And then I didn't know that this was a three-song EP that had an interlude. So really, it's just two songs, and it didn't really make sense to me to review this as an EP. So I just went ahead and treated it as if it never was as a single. It's a very, very good song. I highly suggest checking it out if you're into metalcore. And then, so this is an unfortunate situation, but it's something that I really, really should speak on. Uh, there was a song last week, No Remorse by Dead Crown, that I said I liked. I ended up learning later on that the lyrical content of No Remorse is just really fucking uh, disgusting and abhorrent, and it's nothing that I want to be associated with, so 
do not listen to that song. Fuck that song. Fuck that band. Just forget that it ever happened. And I'm really, really sorry for having given it a spotlight on my platform. Okay, let's get into some record reviews now. And there are more than a handful, so this might take a little bit. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start with one of the big three that I mentioned earlier. Because I think it's the album that could potentially get the most discourse out of me. And that is This Place Will Become Your Tomb by Sleep Token. So this is the point that I want to make right now, and then we'll just go from there and see what happens with this review. The score that I gave This Place Will Become Your Tomb last week on social media was a 9.5 out of 10. I don't know if I actually believe that anymore. Uh, there's a chance I do still like this record uh, the exact amount that I believe I do. There's also the chance that I like it less than that. But either way... What I can say definitively is I do not feel as strongly for this record or Sleep Token as a project altogether as others seem to do. One of the biggest talking points I saw last week on the TL was how like this is an album of the year contender and it's perfect and all these things. And if you feel that way, that's amazing. You know, great. I love it when people are able to latch onto something and feel so passionately about it, regardless of what I think. But on that same note, sometimes hype is blinding and it does affect how you process something if you believe that you don't fit into the majority opinion opinion on it um the best example i can think of comes from last year and that was i let it in and it took everything by loathe i do really like that record i like it a lot i definitely do not like it as much as many others do you know i did not believe it was a record of the year contender i had like maybe honestly 15 to 20 that I liked more and that's not a slight against loathe it's just me acknowledging that I didn't re receive that project the same way that others did um sundowning my sleep token was of a similar case I heard that record and I was like honestly my first reaction was like this is what people are you know reacting so strongly to and then I listened to it more and more and it grew on me and I do like it but I still don't consider it to be one of the top records of 2019 so if not totally getting sleep token makes me wrong or stupid, then whatever. I guess I'm wrong and stupid, but I, I also want to be honest with everybody. I don't get sleep token the way that a lot of others do. And that's, you know, I, I, I don't know why that is. I can't really change that. Like it, it just is what it is, but I still went into this record with an open mind because one of the singles alkaline was really, really, really fucking good. Like, infinitely better than my favorite song from Sundowning, which was Bloodsport. And I suppose, like, before I actually get into the material on this record, I should at least address who Sleep Token are, or, or rather, what Sleep Token is presented as, because the identity of the members is not actually public knowledge. Um, you cannot go on any search engine and get a definitive answer as to who Sleep Token is comprised of. And Sleep Token is fronted by someone named Vessel. And you can, um, I, I, I just said you can't go and find a definitive answer 
about their identities, you can go and find some educated guesses as to who Vessel could be. And there are things that I have heard um, about potentially who is behind Vessel. That's not any information that I would feel comfortable sharing here, though, just in the event that maybe I'm right. But um, I, I want Sleep Token's concept or gimmick, if you want to use that word, to be left up to the imagination, because I think uh, the way that they've executed their personas is one of the coolest things in the entire scene right now. Sleep Token is, you know, whoever makes up Sleep Token, whoever is behind uh, the idea of it, whoever's the brainchild of this band, they are, are not given enough credit. This is a, this is such a cool idea, and to see it, you know, be put into practice the way that it has been, it, it's been a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, even if I just said, like, you know, with Sundowning, I didn't really understand the music entirely, I was at least appreciative of what Sleep Token was presented to us as. The other extraordinary high point about Sleep Token that I want to emphasize, because I don't think it can be denied, is the musicianship of everyone involved in the project and the ability to create these atmospheric moments that are able to kind of stick with you. Um, I, I don't think it's possible to listen to these to these songs and not at least be able to find the substance in everything that you're hearing. And that's a real testament to, you know, the talent on the part of everyone actually playing instruments in Sleep Token. But then also George Lever, who had his hands with uh, This Place Will Be Your Tomb, This Place Will Become Your Tomb. And then also he worked on Sundowning with Sleep Token two years ago, but then he was also on I Let It In and It Took Everything by Loathe, as well as Holding Absence's self-title from 2019. So, you know, take all those projects and understand, like, the connecting thread between all of them is, like, those moments that I just talked about where you're kind of able to get lost in what is going on around you. And even if you don't entirely fuck with the songs that you're hearing, you put on headphones or speakers, whatever it is that you actually listen to music through, and you get lost in it. It's so hard to not at least be able to find, like, the peace and bliss within everything they're hearing. And then at, at that same, in that same breath, the absolute chaos that's going around. I mentioned earlier that Alkaline was my favorite song on the record, and I think Alkaline completely 100% served its intended purpose as the lead single. I think it is a good summarization of what you get through all of This Place Will Become Your Tomb, because Alkaline can kind of be divided into sections, and like the first section is not really slow. Um, th there's almost like this, um, it's not a horn, but there's something at the start of it that is kind of indecipherable to me, yet... Uh, that unknown factor kind of like, I don't want to say made me uncomfortable, but it put me in a position of like, I really don't know what I'm about to listen to. And the way Vessel uses his voice to carry that first section is really fucking magnificent. And then it breaks off into like a more like deaf tones kind of uh, a sound going for it, at least in the instrumentation, like that new metal hit it's there. Um, you could probably call it like progressive metal too. I don't actually like, I don't really, I'm, I'm not so hung up on genre names or whatever. It just sounds really, really cool. And all the while vessel is still doing his fucking thing throughout the rest of the song. And the chorus is so infectious and catchy while also just being so brooding at the same time. It's a really, really strange combo that was able to work and it catapults alkaline into the conversation for one of my favorite songs of the entire year so far. I think the opening song, Atlantic, also does a good job at kind of telling you immediately that 
this is a record that you can't really like slap a label on and expect it to be one thing. It's going to be whatever it decides to be because Atlantic spends the majority of its time being built up as this like really beautiful piano ballad and then kind of descends into that more like raw and gritty metal side that some of this place will be coming to is grounded in. Hypnosis is another very strong point on the record, in my opinion. I think that song, it kind of carries along more of the themes that I would say I go to Sleep Token for. It, it It's pretty straightforward all the way through. It is a heavier song. And in certain areas of it, I would say Vessel, like he almost sounds like broken or defeated, maybe. You're just really, really worn down and like as if it's hurting, like physically hurting him actually getting out all of his lyrics and that element to Vessel's charisma I think really really lends itself to a song like this the song like that and I I literally mean the song is called like that it takes what I've said and then throws in these electronic moments and for the most part of that song I would say I'm listening to it and I'm like yeah this is a more like electronic backed song okay I fuck with this and then these guitars come in later on, and that's the other thing about, like, the production of this, uh, record. The guitars sound fucking grotesque, dude. Uh, that might be a weird way to describe it, but it's just, like, so sinister in a way, and, like, that, those, um, those, I guess, like, evil notions to the production and the instrumentation, uh, clashing that with Vessel's delivery, that creates this formula that is almost addictive in a way. It's, like, I, I can't necessarily go to another band for this particular kind of sound. Like, it's Sleep Token that's going to give me this. And that's one of the things that makes this, like, such a, like, such an internal battle about how I really feel about the record. Because I've gotten into, like, a lot of strong points so far. And I'm really, really getting across, I, I think I'm getting across how much I might like the album. But one of the things that I also think about is, I have used the word moments more than once, I believe, in this review so far. This record is incredible at establishing moments, but on certain songs, those moments overtake my desire to listen to the entire track. There's a stretch of songs near the end of the record that all of them in a row kind of do what I just said for me personally. Uh, Distraction, Descending, and Telomeres. With those three songs, I... I really, really like what they build up to in the instrumentation, but by that point, I think my mind is like, I've heard other songs do this. Like, I just talked about Alkaline doing it to perfection, and then, and maybe this has to do with, like, Alkaline becoming right before those three songs, but it's like, it, it feels like certain concepts are being, like, recycled, and granted, they all sound different, like... I'm not able to not differentiate distraction from descending from telomeres. It's just that they kind of all follow the same formula. And by that point, I kind of want something a little bit different out of these songs. They're great songs. I I genuinely liked every song on this record. Do not take what I'm saying as any sort of declaration like, oh, I don't like these songs. Like, no, I really, really do like every track on This Place Will Become Your Tomb. I'm just acknowledging that there were moments in me listening to this record where I kind of detached myself from what I was hearing in terms of like trying to figure out if I believe this is a perfect record or not. And I'll say it again. I, in my opinion, okay, just my dumb shitty little fucking opinion. I do not think 
this is a perfect album. I do not think Sleep Token are a perfect band. I think they are great. And there's nothing wrong with being great. But there are things that they are perfect at. And I said some of them earlier when talking about, you know, the gimmick of the band and how talented all the members are. There's versatility on this record. That also cannot be denied. There are songs like, um, what was it? It was Fall For Me was the single last week that I chose not to talk about so I could talk about it this week. Fall For Me, like, it does not fit in with the rest of this, with this record. And the same thing with The Love You Want. Like, those are two songs that sound completely different from anything else, yet I think they stand out as, like, strong points of the record because of those differences. And, and, and so I want to, like, kind of cap off this review by saying that if you like Sleep Token, I get it. You have every reason to be infatuated with Sleep Token and the entities that make up this band. And there's a big part of me, like a really, really big part of me that wants to fit in with that narrative. I really, really do want to love and admire Sleep Token the way everyone else seems to because I can recognize that there is so much about this band to fall in love with. It's just sometimes like... You can't really explain why you feel some sense of detachment from a project. You kind of just do. And even if I've said like what some of my issues with this place to become a tomb are, I feel like I'm still not really, really, I was going to say justifying, but I don't need to justify shit to anybody, but let's just go with justifying. I feel like I'm not saying enough to justify my opinion on this band, on this record, on these songs, but you know, I'm just one voice in this massive fucking black hole of scene music and scene fandom shit and scene media. If you want to call me scene media, please call me scene media. That sounds really flattering. Um, but you know, I'm just a small little blip on the radar. I, I, my opinion ultimately means nothing. If you love this record, that is amazing. And I'm really, really happy that you got a project that, you know, you can create these ties to. I do suggest if you've never listened to Sleep Token before, you should listen to this record. It's it's a really, really good expansion on what they had going for them on Sundowning, because I think Sundowning showed potential, and then This Place Will Become Your Tomb really, really flushes out all of that potential into like greatness, and then at times borderline greatness. Um, you really, really should listen to this band for yourself and see how you feel about them. Again, there's a lot to love here, and I think everyone listening to Sleep Token, or everyone who decides to listen to Sleep Token and decides to listen to this record, at the very least, you'll be able to like pull some things that you can look at and say, wow, that was really, really fucking sick. I'm going to try spending the next few minutes getting through the two EPs from last week. The first one comes from Orbit Culture. It is called Shaman. Admittedly, this EP is a little bit out of my element, out of my comfort zone. I don't really know why I went into Shaman expecting it to be a metalcore album. I, I know I listened to the singles prior, and I guess they just escaped me somehow. Um, because what ended up happening was Shaman is a metal release. Not very metalcore. I mean, there's like metalcore elements if you want to you know, consider it that. But like through and through, I would say this is a metal record. Which I'm quite happy that I didn't know that ahead of time, because had I known that this was a metal EP, I would have been so 
hesitant to hear it. I would have heard it for the purpose of having content, but like, I would have thought like, oh fuck, okay, like let's let's do this. Um, I don't particularly like metal. It, it's just not my style. Like, I grew up around my dad playing like, or not when I say playing, I mean like putting on like um Metallica, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Megadeth, all that kind of stuff, and it's like. You know, maybe that music, like, helped me transition into, like, metalcore and post-hardcore at an early age, like, more uh, efficiently than if I didn't have that kind of exposure early on, but I really, really don't fuck with that kind of music. It's just not for me. If you like it, cool. That's great. Um, I just can't get behind it. So I, I guess by default, given everything that I've just said about my perception of metal music, Shaman is one of the best metal releases I've ever heard, and that's on the basis of me actually being able to enjoy this despite knowing that it's not a release that I might feel inclined to go back to anytime soon, if ever again, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, it's just, you know, I've already said it's not normally something I would gravitate towards, and then there were so many other releases from last week that I do feel strongly about there's so many coming in the next couple weeks that I will also I'd imagine I will also feel as passionately for so even if my experience listening to shaman was a one-time thing I don't regret it whatsoever when I talked about the employed to serve record from last week I I said one of the weak points of that release in my opinion was the implementation of clean singing and how not well executed I thought it was most of the time I would say that is also my biggest gripe with Shaman. Um, the cleans are fine in the sense that they do sound like they belong here because this is the kind of music that that style of vocals is tailored for. But again, I'm just reiterating myself now. It's just not for me. It's not something that I find particularly enjoyable. So on songs like Mass of the World, Carvings, and Strangler, I think the cleans are fine. But there's a reason why I much prefer Flight of the Fireflies and A Sailor's Tale. And and granted, those songs do have cleans as well, but I feel like the structure of those songs and and the instrumentation, they complement that style of vocals tremendously, at least in comparison to the three songs that I had just singled out. With Flight of the Fireflies, that song, it feels like a very straightforward metal song, there was a video game uh, from back in 2009. I don't know how many people would remember it or have ever even played it, but it was called Brutal Legend, and there were a lot of metal songs uh, implemented into that game soundtrack. Flight of the Fireflies reminds me of something that I would have heard in that game, and so I guess because of that, there's like this little bit of a nostalgia factor that kind of allows me to warm up to that song in a way that I didn't most of the other ones on here. The closing track, A Sailor's Tale, uh, to me, it's, that song is kind of like if I liked Iron Maiden or if Iron Maiden was making something more contemporary. It's a seven minute track, so, you know, I already mentioned earlier when talking about Under Oath that I'm not particularly fond of long songs, so I saw the runtime for this one and I was like, okay, fine, just, let's just get through it. And it was way, way better than I anticipated it being, um... That song is very, very layered, and I guess in that sense, it does remind me of something like from The Stage by Avenged Sevenfold, and again, if I liked The Stage, then this is what A Sailor's Tale would entail. Um, A Sailor's Tale would entail. Hmm. 
Am I going to name this episode that? Nah, I've, I've got other things in mind. Um, what was I saying? Um, Orbit Culture, Shaman. This is a, this was a cool release. I will acknowledge that. I think if you, if you're into metal and you fuck with metal heavily, then absolutely go out of your way to listen to Shaman. I think it's a release that you're going to really be able to latch onto and have a lot of favoritism for. Uh, and even if you're not into metal, like I myself am not particularly, I was still able to find a lot of things to enjoy about Shaman. And even the songs I said I wasn't too crazy about, I don't really have anything to say in like such a negative tone about them. Every song here works to what Orbit Culture was going for. And like I said, Flight of the Fireflies and A Sailor's Tale, I was really, really taken aback by. And if anything, those are the two songs that I would imagine somewhere down the line I do revisit and, you know, just kind of sit back and be like, yeah, this was, this was fun. I, I had a good time with this. There is the debut EP from Cherry called Safe in Your Stare. I had heard one of the singles for this EP beforehand that haven't been Alice, but it honestly wasn't really on my radar. I didn't even know that this was dropping, this project, until I saw it show up in my, like, I don't know how many people have that bell on your Spotify app, or like, whenever something new drops at midnight, you can click on that little bell and it'll show you uh, what is out from artists that you're following. That was how I found out that Safe Inner Stare was even a thing, so... Very, very grateful for Spotify's features in, in that sense. Um, but yeah, it wasn't something that I was like really, really aware of, but I am so fucking glad that I came across this EP because it really was one of the highlights of last week for myself. I didn't give it a perfect score in my ratings on social media, and I still don't know if I would bump it up to a perfect score, but it has every right to, honestly. Like, this is a, this is an outstanding release, especially for a debut. But I'm also not entirely certain how to sell this to anyone listening to this right now who maybe hasn't heard of Cherry or this EP before. Um, I, I could use terms like indie, but that doesn't really feel like it like even scratches the surface. Uh, same thing with pop punk. I don't feel comfortable calling this pop punk. Um, alternative is such a, a broad term. The... The best thing that I came up with, and I really, really tried thinking about this, um, a softer, more relaxed Boston manner. And I, I don't know if that's something that anyone who is familiar with Boston manner can actually envision or, or even like think about, but that's just kind of the sound that I was able to pull out of Safe in Your Stare if I had to pull a sound for the sake of this review, which I felt like I did. I mentioned Alice earlier. That song has this really, really cool, like, little piano tune that kind of carries it throughout the whole track, and it, it's kind of faint in the background. The production doesn't really allow the piano to take center stage, but even with that, it feels like it's still the thing that is, like, holding the song together, and it's really, really immaculate, and I just thought, like, like I remember liking Alice when I heard it as a single, but hearing it on this project, I like it a lot more now.
And then something similar is going on with Call Me By My Name, which was the lead single for this EP, yet I had missed it back when it dropped. I I don't even know when it dropped exactly, but whenever it did, it wasn't something that I happened to come across or stumble upon. And that's a shame, because Call Me By My Name is such a good song. Um, Dancing for One, and then The Closer Odyssey, they both kind of feel like related to each other in the sense that they're the two softer and slower songs on this EP, yet they still have so many layers to them, and they still build up to these sections that just kind of really, really show off the potential and also capabilities of Cherry and how like how well they understand what they're able to do already. The fourth track, Moxie, is the shortest song on this EP, and it's around like 3 minutes, 45 seconds, something like that, so... Uh, this isn't uh, something that you can kind of just like breeze through quickly. Um, Safe in your stare will require your time. It will require your attention. But I I promise everybody that it is well worth all of those things. Safe in your stare is such a like like this is the kind of thing that if you're a band, this is exactly what you want to be putting out for your debut. And if you're a listener or consumer. This is the exact product you want to be receiving. And like having heard this through several times now, I feel like I'm able to implement all of the trust in the world um, onto Cherry in terms of like what they should be capable of doing moving forward. Because like listening to Safe in Your Stare, I feel like this is like such a, I don't want to say guarantee like that this band is going to, you know, um, uh, attain success because let's be honest, that is not always up to the band itself. You can be the most talented and most hardworking band in the scene and you still get fucked over by something. But if we're going off of just talent and pure potential, Cherry really, really should be up there with any other band that anyone can throw out from the scene. Signs of the Swarm have put out their fourth studio album. It is Absolver. I do kind of feel like this has been a banner year for Deathcore in a lot of ways. Like, just from what I've reviewed on this podcast before, or maybe not reviewed per se, but just, like, things I've listened to in the time that I've been doing this podcast, I've been able to hear, uh, like, Darko, To The Grave, Warner Shore, like, all these bands put out these incredible Deathcore projects, and... I'm I'm gonna put Signs of the Swarm up there. I, I really, really think that Absolver and I hope I'm saying that correctly, uh Absolver it it doesn't really do anything unique. Let me put that out there right now. This isn't something groundbreaking. This doesn't have like those same revolutionary qualities that I felt were there on something like the Lorna Shore EP from August. I just think that Signs of the Swarm take concepts that already exist in Deathcore and put a- enough of their own spin on it to where they're able to stand out and stand above most of the others in the scene. I think what you get out of the opening song, Hymns of Invocation, is a clear understanding of exactly what kind of an album this is and the many, many directions that the sound is going to take. Because while it is deathcore, and admittedly a lot of deathcore can sound like very like similar and the same and it never really changes its formula, 
what hymns of invocation does is it takes its own content into so many different fucking directions and it's honestly kind of hard to keep up with but i felt like by the end of the time i spent with absolver hymns of invocation's purpose made complete sense because it really really does get you ready for what is still to come I think if you're just after like a heavy, heavy release, and I, I don't want to boil Signs of the Swarm and Absolver down to just being heavy. I don't want that to be its only identity, but I do think it's the thing about this record that if I had to pull one element from it and recommend it to somebody, that is kind of what I would go for. If someone was just like, hey, what, do you, what from your reviews last week was like fucking heavy and you can recommend to me? This is the direction I would go in because it satisfies everything that somebody who just wants like, you know, growling vocals and fast riffs and crazy blast beats. Like, if that's what they're after, they're absolutely going to get that fulfilled with Absolver. Yet, I also think that if you're after something a little bit more intricate and detailed and not so like, um... I was going to say vanilla. I don't really know if that's what I want to go with, but let's just go with that anyways. Even if, like, you want something that's, like, a little bit more intelligent than a, a general vanilla deathcore release, you're, you're still going to get that from this. Like, in the middle of Dreaming Desecration, there are these clean vocals that come in, and, like, even though it probably should be shocking, it, it's not really shocking. It feels like those vocals are right where they should be, they fit in perfectly, and they're kind of just layered in the background of everything going on, so it's one of those things that it almost feels like caged, and that was at least like what I was able to visualize when listening to that song. It just feels like, you know, you have like this element that is kind of like purposely put in the background, and it's there, and you're able to pick up on it, and it's a really, really cool sounding thing going on, yet it feels like it's only like just barely barely part of the song and it, it just worked out really really well in my opinion it was a direction that i didn't expect that song or any song on this record to take but it was one of the standout moments i was able to pick from or, or pick out of uh absolver by the time i was finished listening to it the title track is a instrumental song and it's placed kind of as like the interlude of the record it comes in right after nameless which that song closes with this really really cool breakdown that has like a beeping sound in it um i, I wouldn't really know what it actually is but like that's just what it sounded like to me and then so you know did this record really need like an interlude song as a break i don't know maybe maybe not but either way it was still a really cool touch and then from there it goes into revelations of a silent king and the record just like immediately picks back up and there's really, really no time on Absolver for anyone listening to it to breathe. Like, you kind of just, you're, you're kind of just, like, put into, this is a weird way to describe this. I have nothing but weird ways to describe music because I, myself, am a weird person. So, let me be, let's just go on with this. Um, it's like you're put in a go-kart and you're at the top of this giant fucking hill and you get pushed off of it and there's no way you can stop, yet it, it's like this this thrill ride it's a rush and that is the best way that i can summarize what listening to absolver was like um i, I think the score i gave this was 8.5 i want to say that's what it was 
And ultimately, what that comes down to is I had a great time listening to Absolver, but just comparing it to some of the other releases from this week and then the ones from last week, I'm probably going to pick them over Absolver to listen to, unless I'm specifically in a mood for Deathcore. Um, like, like that is what is going to bring me back to Absolver time and time again. And, you know, it, I think, uh, well, it was Orbit Culture that I said, like, I don't really know when or if I'll ever go back to it. I'm going to go back to Absolver. I'm going to go back to the Science of the Swarm, even if I'm not doing so immediately. There's no way that I've listened to this record for the final time. Um, it's going to be something that comes back into my rotation once I have like a little bit of downtime later on in the year and I start looking back at records from 2021 and I'm like, what really impacted me? What really made a difference? I don't doubt that Absolver is going to be one of those records or could be one of those records that I look at and I'm like, that was really cool. Let me go back and give it another chance. Okay, now let's just get fucking weird for a second. Das Album by We Butter the Bread with Butter. First off, We Butter the Bread with Butter is one of my favorite names ever for a band. It, like, it's right up there with I Rose of the Bear Ones and I Set My Friends on Fire and anything else, like, really dumb on, on, on those lines. I'm also not, like, start being sarcastic right now. I, I'm 100% fucking serious. The name We Butter the Bread with Butter is enough to get me to listen to this band. Even if they weren't making fucking scene music like they are, this could be, like, some fucking, um, like a fucking country folk ass band and i would still be like goddamn right that is we butter the bread with butter um but for as much as i enjoy their name uh musically they're not always a, a band that i gravitate towards i think they're very very talented and i also don't think that can actually be denied um they they kind of exist in this realm that Eskimo Callboy did not create, but I think with the impact of Hypa Hypa last year, that song really kind of set this, like, standard or expectation for what weird fucking metalcore slash deathcore music could sound like, what it's meant to sound like, what the consumer in the scene wants that stuff to sound like, if that makes any sense. I do believe that the first single for this record was 20 kilometers per hour. And that song kind of fits into what I, or I believe it fits into what I've been saying about like the standard that Hypa Hypa set for this kind of stuff. And to its credit, 20 kilometers per hour is a very, very good song. I think it does fit right in with like all that weird shit that you could ask for from this kind of scene music. Um, it also in introduced, uh, introduced, not really, because I already knew this was going to happen back before there was even an album from them, a new one. Um, so, uh, this band is German, and all of their lyrics are in German. I don't speak German, I don't understand German, so 
immediately that's already a disconnect that I could possibly have from the record in terms of like my attachment to it or how strongly I feel about it because I, I can't really like bring myself to have the same like energy and care for something that is literally lost in translation and I'm not going to learn German just so I can stand we better the better more than I already do um but all that being said what a song like 20 kilometers per hour showed me was that even if like there is going to be this disconnect that I have to explain in my review what I can still say is that just we butter the bro butter are so fucking talented and these members are doing shit that you really really should not be able to do like all the way from just every little production quirk that i hear in this song and then the style of like screaming vocals and then all of the instrumentals going on everything about 20 kilometers per hour and this really um you know lays over into everything else about das album this is a a, a top-notch band and every member should be proud of what they can do and understand that they probably are some of the best in the entire scene at what they do. I think the electronic flares that are spread all throughout Das album are really, really cool. Some of my favorite elements of the entire record, to be honest, because it takes me back to like the 2000s era where Crabcore was kind of starting to take off. And I'm such a fucking sucker for Crabcore. I don't apologize for that. I love Crabcore. I will always love Crabcore. Crabcore literally till I'm fucking dead. I don't give a shit what anyone says. And we by the bro butter are able to like I don't want to say like pull nostalgia because they themselves are not really crap core. They just kind of have like some of those elements. But it, it does take me back to a time period where I felt like I was like so much more at peace with things. And that's a really, really cool feeling that I I can't really describe beyond that, but I do wish that everyone listening to this has something in their life, whether it be music or some other form of entertainment that is able to do that for you. The track Jump and Run might actually be my favorite on the record. I don't know if I said earlier that 20 kilometers per hour was my favorite or one of my favorites. Uh, I meant to say that was one of my favorites, whereas Jump and Run, I think, is my favorite. That song starts off with this cool little rhythm that it sounds like it's taken from like like an arcade system for video games. And the the melody in the song actually matches that little arcade jingle. So that's a really, really cool thing that I think uh, we, butter, we Butter the Bro Butter accomplished here. Yeah, for as much as I like their name, sometimes I stumble over it. Whatever, I don't care. Um, and uh, another thing about that song is later on, it has one of the deepest, most fucking possessed growls on the entire record and that really really does say something i think the song that comes after jump and run i don't even know where to begin trying to pronounce it correctly so i'm, I'm not even going to attempt it and then fucking butcher it uh that song incorporates elements of hip-hop and it is one of the more unique songs on the record up to that point and i think it's also just another example of we Butter the Bro Butter being able to kind of take their songs into so many different directions, yet still have it make sense, still have it be cohesive. And I, I say cohesive, and I really, really do believe that for as all over the place and off the fucking walls as Das Album is, it is cohesive. The production on the entire record is something that everyone involved with that side of Das Album should be really, really proud of. I think 
above all else, the production is what stands out to me the most. And just every little, like, weird implementation that is made in the instrumentation. Uh, so, like, the electronic stuff, and then just, like, little... The, um, the video game stuff that I mentioned on Jump and Run, that's another factor in all that. Um, it, what I think ultimately Das Album does for me is it provides me with something that I genuinely cannot go to any other band to get. I know I compared this to the Eskimo Cowboy EP from last year, but even then, there were still so many differences that I wouldn't even really say that they're, you know, comparable to each other outside of being these weird metalcore releases that uh, probably the average consumer has never heard of before, didn't even know that music could sound like this. Um, if you're into like heavier music, so like metalcore that lingers into deathcore at times, I would imagine that you already know about this record. Um, if you haven't heard it yet, I do suggest listening to it because it is something that it's so unique to We Butter the Butter, you cannot go to anyone else to get this, you know, and you're not going to get it from Eskimo Cowboy, you're not going to get it from Baby Metal, you're not going to get it from Pale Dusk, you're going to get some great things from those projects, some very, very interesting sounds, but We Butter the Butter Butter does something that I don't think anybody else can, and it's the language barrier that is stopping me from, like, feeling more passionately about this release than I would have liked, but I I still listen to Das Album and I'm still blown away by everything that I'm listening to because it just sounds like something that you could have never imagined music being able to get to this point. You could have never imagined people just having the talent and the creative wits to really pull something like this off. So now we have two records remaining and these are the two records that I gave perfect scores to last week in my reviews on social media and both are incredibly well deserved in my opinion. I didn't really know which one I wanted to start with. I, I either start with the record that took me aback the most or the record that comes from one of my pillar artists right now. Um, I decided that I'm going to go with the former so let's go that route right now. This is How the World Ends by Batflower. So along with just being a perfect record in my opinion, this was the album this week that I was looking forward to talking about the most on this show because I kind of believe that it really might be the most disturbing album I've ever listened to in my life. And I don't mean disturbing in the sense of like, oh, it's scary or there are themes of horror. It's more so because there are so many things being said lyrically on this record that I do not see like how anyone could feel like comfortable sharing these kinds of things with uh, their audience. Uh, and you know, that's a testament to Josh's, I want to say confidence in his songwriting abilities because like there is a certain way that you need to execute these concepts. And if you don't do it like infinitely correctly, then you run the risk of just looking kind of like a weirdo. And there will definitely be people who listen to this record or certain songs on it and their mindset is like, 
what the fuck am I listening to? What is wrong with this guy? I listen to it and I'm like, this took fucking balls to put out. And I'm very, very happy that this was the record that came as a result of what might have been like some uh, extended thinking on the part of the members of Batflower. I, I don't know if they actually like, I, I don't know what their thought process was going into this record. I don't know if they went into it thinking like, let's make this like really, really unsettling piece of music and let people dissect it however they want to. Or if it was just something that happened kind of like by accident along the way in the studio, whatever the case was, I'm happy that this was the end result of all that. It's also really just eerie to me how much I can identify with a lot of the material that is uh, being presented here and being portrayed. Like in the lead single family, and obviously I'm not going to get into like any personal matters because that is my business and not anyone listening to this. Uh, the lead single for this record, Family, I talked about it briefly when that dropped as a single back at the beginning of July. Family really, really set the tone for what This Is How The World Ends was going to be. That song is so just creepy in a lot of ways. And not just like, um, there was a fucking car, motorcycle, whatever, passing by. I apologize for that. Um, actually, I don't apologize. Fuck that guy. Um, actually, no, don't, no. Um, anyways, um, Family was just this really, really moving and unsettling bit of music that I could not pull myself away from. And if anything, I like that song way more now than I did back then, if that's even possible, because I was already really, really high on Met Family when that was released as a single. Um, that song is built up like kind of slowly throughout it. And then there are these weird little production elements going on that add to that sense of like just dread that is going on throughout all of it. And then later on, uh, you know, the, the hook of the song being what happened to this family is like really, really hammered into the head of the listener. And it, it, it kind of just plays randomly in my mind and just the, the deliver, the delivery on Josh's part of that line, what happened to this family and the pain that you can sense in his voice when he's delivering that song. The opening song to this record is Adolescent Love, and if you didn't hear any of the singles like Family or Johnny Wants to Fight prior, and this is your introduction to the material on this record, then immediately with the first verse, I promise you, you're going to be taken aback and really have to analyze, is this an album that I want to dive further into? I was only a boy, I looked younger than the others, only hair on my head and a voice just like my mother's. So I stayed quiet and fully clothed, and this girl in my grade, I would dream her in my covers, after saving her from the cruelty of her father, though her father wasn't cruel at all. This is like a real fucking trip that this record takes you on, and Adolescent Love lets you know that immediately, and it's like, hey, you're gonna hear some things that maybe you don't want to, some things that maybe freak you out or scare you, but... Listen to me, not like Badflower, but me right now, me, Artisan, whatever you want to call me. Listen to me right now and understand that you will be thoroughly rewarded if you make it through the entirety of This Is How The World Ends. I, I didn't really know when I was going to get to this part, but I kind of want to just go into Stalker right now. Stalker is the fifth track on this record and might be the most shocking, and I say that like on a record that is full of shocking songs um i do not know how this song ever saw the light of day if i wrote it it would have been like tucked away deep into some fucking diary that i would have like had a panic attack if anyone ever saw what was written let alone hear me singing these lines 
Stalker, stalker, one day I'll probably fucking kill her, kill her, because if she ever got to know me, know me, she'd probably think I'm fucking crazy, crazy. Yeah, another fucking psycho, psycho, I'm just another fucking freak show, freak show, nobody's ever gonna love me, love me, I think I need to fucking let go, let go. And it only gets, like, it just somehow infinitely more disturbing from there. Like, take this second verse. Kill all men, isn't that your mantra? Feminist bitch, here, let me fix it for you. Kill all boys and kill all girls, kill myself and kill the rest of the world. Just even reading these lines, it, it like kind of like sends it's like chill down my spine, and it's like I know I should not be listening to this song, and even more so, I should not be enjoying it to the extent that I do. I fucking love Stalker. It might be my favorite song on the whole record. Stalker is just everything that I could ask for this record to be, if it's going to be as candid as it is. Just to go back to family briefly, there are more songs on this record like that where they're a little bit slower in pace, yet they still pack that same emotional punch. Uh, take She Knows, for example. She Knows is one of the more, as far as like the sonic tone goes, She Knows is one of the more relaxed songs on the album. Yet, like I said, it still is just so full of raw emotion that really, really emphasizes on how vulnerable Josh allowed himself to be for the writing and recording process of This Is How The World Ends. She's crying, I feel the tensions rising. Inside, I'm scheming anything to stop her leaving. Does she know my secret? Did someone leak it? Sometimes I get scared, but I'm faithful, I swear. Tethered, which is track number 11 on here. That song, it, it, it's one of the more heartbreaking uh, heartbreaking songs on the record. It's one of the most heartbreaking songs I've listened to all year, to be completely honest with everyone. Um, that that song, it has like the, the slow-paced verses that I've been talking about, but then this pretty explosive chorus that is... Like, it's catchy, but it really shouldn't be just because of how horrible the subject matter of the song actually is. Uh, just to kind of, like, get across what the song is trying to say. I'll read the second verse, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory in that sense. Then speech becomes a slur. She's talking to some creep, uncomfortable as hell, but too polite to leave. Then lines begin to blur. There's something in her drink. She stumbles to his car, and no one says a thing. I, I know that this is a review, and I probably should be going more in-depth on this record than I really am, especially since I love it so much but this is how the world ends is an album that i really really think just needs to be experienced for oneself and i want to leave a lot of that material out there for everyone to go check out themselves uh but i do want to talk about the closing song my funeral i remember sitting in a starbucks hearing this song for the first time and like it it kind of felt like if i closed my eyes I, I could envision like every single light in the room just dimming and like walls closing in on me. It, it just really weird shit, but like that was the environment that my funeral put me in. Um, God, I, I don't even know where to start with that song lyrically because it's just, it, it, it's genuinely like this. It, it, it takes one's self and has that person look at their life and be so blunt and candid about what would happen if they were to die right there and then by their hand and like how the world would react and just like it's so brooding and dark yet it is this masterful song that like again i have no idea how anyone could write these lyrics and be like so comfortable with putting them out into the world if i wrote something like this i'd be fucking scared to death of anyone listening to it so for Josh to be as open as he was on this album, whether you like Batflower or this record or, or not, you really, really do have to give him credit for just willing to put himself out there the way that he did.
and this is how the world ends it, it it's an appropriate title this record feels apocalyptic not because of like any sort sort of like instrumentation choices but just because of how brutally honest the entire record is and like i said earlier it is one of like the most chilling experiences i've ever had with a record this might actually be the most disturbing album i've ever heard it is unhinged and unstable as fuck yet if it wasn't any of those things it would not have been as effective as it is and i cannot get enough of bad flower i cannot get enough of this is how the world ends please please go check it out if it's something that you think you can stomach if it's something that you well actually now that i think about it this record probably does need like a hard trigger warning so i'll i'll implement that right here this record deals with so many sensitive topics that you might be able to identify with and it might put you in a weird spot if you believe that you are able to handle something like that then please i I implore everyone go listen to this is how the world ends Okay, now it's time for the final album for this episode, and it comes from one of my favorite artists of the last couple years, honestly, of all time, if I really, really thought about it. She had my favorite record of 2020 with I Disagree slash I Disagree More, and now she is back in album form. This is Poppy's new record, Flux. People who know me personally, I would think, understand the extent to which Poppy is so important to me. Other than Bring Me the Horizon, Poppy has been the artist over the last couple of years that if you were to ask me like, hey, who do you listen to in music? Who's your favorite? I- I'm probably going to say Poppy. Um, and w- with that in mind, I do want to get this out the way right now. I I think Flux is her weakest album since poppy.computer. But understand that I gave Flux a perfect score on social media last week, a 10 out of 10. I do think this is a perfect record. I love everything about it. But at the same time, I don't think it has the journey of Am I a Girl or the just... um, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. It, It doesn't have the same ferocity as... I disagree. And it's like, well, no shit, because they're two completely different records. I disagree was very, very heavy and almost like metalcore in a lot of instances. Whereas Flux, Flux is kind of like, the biggest thing I can take from it is it reminds me of Tragic Kingdom by No Doubt. So whatever you would consider that era of No Doubt being, look at Flux as being kind of in that same limelight. Granted, there are some heavier moments on the record. And then one of the songs, um, Fuck, what was it called? It's one of my favorite songs in the record. Why can't I remember the name of it? Shit. Uh, Lesson... It's something Lesson. What the fuck was it called? Lesson the Damage. God damn it, why did that take so long? Lesson the Damage kind of feels like a punk song, and it has that fast-paced energy to it. Um, There's also some screaming in it, but then there's some screaming in, like, a, a little bit of the other songs. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, like, like kind of like alternative pop is what I would say this record is mostly grounded in. And that was pretty apparent from the lead single, Flux, that's or actually no that wasn't even the lead single it was her but the same thing applies her came right after the eat ep and eat was kind of like a continuation of i disagree and the themes that were present on that record 
eat is like very heavy and the production is just like really, really chaotic and all over the place. Whereas when her dropped, I heard it and I was like, okay, this is different, but I also really, really fuck with it because I think Poppy is one of those artists who is so versatile and can excel at anything that she puts her mind to. And if you told me beforehand, like, okay, the next Poppy record is more grounded in pop than metalcore, I would have been like, okay, sick. That's great. She's going to kill it. There was also the single So Mean. I strongly believe that So Mean is the catchiest song of the year, along with being one of the best songs of the year so far. And if I like really, really thought about it, maybe So Mean is one of the catchiest songs I've ever heard in my life in general. The the chorus on that song is infectious beyond fucking belief. And I cannot tell you the amount of times that like, I've just been going about my day, then I just hum myself, how did she get so mean? It, it, it just like, it immediately hits you and there's no way that you can just let that go. I think Hysteria is a song that could actually, in some ways, kind of fit in with I Disagree. It's not fast-paced or anything like that. It is, like what I've been saying about alternative pop, it does have the same structure and pacing as everything else on this record, yet towards the end, it kind of starts to descend into chaos, and the song becomes like almost like indecipherable at that point, and I think that was one of the themes that I remember being very, very recurring on I Disagree. If So Mean, which I already talked about earlier, is not the catchiest song on Flux, then it's probably on the level. That's another song that has like a lot of those no doubt tones I've been talking about. And then the chorus comes in and that's another one that like you just cannot let go of like the hook that is in there. And all it is is just repeating on the level, level, level. But like the way that Poppy does it, the, the tone in her voice, the like almost soothing nature, yet hypnotic in a way, it, it like it impales you in, in a lot of ways. The penultimate song, as strange as it seems, it has this, like, giant atmospheric feeling to it. Like, as if, like, I'm outside in this giant field at night and I'm just staring up at the stars and then, like, lights start just illuminating the entire area. That is what, as strange as it seems, sounded like to me if I were to, like, visualize what these sonic tones could be. And it's a really, really, I don't want to say, like, experimental necessarily. I think this whole record is experimental in a lot of ways. But as strange as it seems, does kind of stand out on its own in that regard. And then the final song, Never Find My Place, that fits into what I said earlier about Hysteria, where like, there are some elements of I Disagree that are present in this song, and it's not entirely straightforward. It's built up as like a a slower song, yet it it doesn't really pick up its pace necessarily, or like the tempo, but it just becomes more chaotic as time goes on. And it's this really, really cool, intricate track that I think highlights everything that Poppy is able to do extraordinarily well. And coming out of Flux, I feel like I have an even better understanding now of who Poppy is. If you watch any of her interviews lately, you can kind of tell that she's not necessarily like dropping the gimmick that she was doing prior, but she is becoming just like more human-like in the way that she presents herself. And I think that is kind of the reason why this album, it feels more, not really personable to her but just like this feels more like the girl behind poppy as opposed to just the character poppy and that is able to bring this distinction between this and then the other albums i mentioned earlier like i disagree and am i a girl this is the least gimmicky thing poppy has ever done and it's also one of the best and i know earlier i said the weakest record since poppy.computer please understand like That is not a slight. That's actually like a compliment to Am I a Girl and I Disagree. 
and I'm acknowledging that Flux is still this perfect record. I think it, 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 it's another addition to Poppy's already loaded discography, especially this year since Eat was only out back in like June. So there was like a three and a half month stretch between Eat and Flux. And listening to those two projects back to back, you gain this understanding of the, the prowess on the part of Poppy and just how easy and naturally this shit comes to her. Poppy is fucking unstoppable, dude. She is one of the most important artists of our generation, in my opinion. I think she's somebody who everyone should be listening to. There is no way that you can, like, look through Poppy's entire library and not find at least one song that you fuck with because I think every single sound change that she has ventured into, she has fucking delivered on on every front. Poppy is fucking goaded, dude. And that's it. That was every album, EP, and singer from last week that I had to review for this episode. Um, I don't really have a lot to say. This episode's going up kind of, not kind of, it's going up very, very late compared to when I wanted it to because I've spent the last week playing through Life is Strange True Colors. I just beat it the other day, uh, my first playthrough. I don't know if I'll play through it again because I'm, I'm quite happy with how the story turned out from the choices I selected. Um... But yeah, uh, go play Life is Strange True Colors, I guess. Go play any Life is Strange. It, it's a really, really cool series that, um, kind of, what, what I said earlier about Batflower and like trigger warning, all that stuff, hard fucking trigger warning on Life is Strange. That shit is, that shit is not fucking playing. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of all that I had to say this week. Um, I'll, I'll wrap it up here. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and As always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.